Easter weekend, everybody, settle back, relax, it's time to settle in for uh, me, Dave Sinekin, and my partner, whose timing is impeccable, as always, the professor of hoopology, he's a gopher legend, he is an NBA champion, and he is Double T, Trent Tucker. Good morning, partner. Good morning, Davey, how are you doing? I don't know how you do it. I... I don't know how you time it. I mean, because you have to deal with the elevator, right? And twenty six years of uh, of, of uh, well, a yes, working progress, but not always in this building. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, there was no elevator in Bloomington. <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, it's remarkable. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's why you are the professor, I guess. Things good? Yeah, all's well. Okay. Uh, much of the family is scattered for spring break, but I'm home with uh, baby brother Dylan. Okay. We actually went to a movie theater yesterday. That's nice. First time in, uh, well, you know, since all this changed. What do you guys see? We saw a movie called Nobody. It was really fun. Oh. Yeah, it was an action movie. Uh, like a no-name defense? Not at all, no. <laughs> <laughs> Stars the dude from uh, Better Call Saul. I know that's a show that you watch regularly. Uh, every chance I get. Bob Odenkirk. Uh, it was just one of those fun action, popcorn-chewing we were the only two in the theater. It was a late afternoon, like 4.15 slot, and uh, it was just us, just the two That's of good. us uh, yeah. watching a film, but just kind of one of those things. A little to, bonding time. Huh? Yeah, just to check off. All right, back to normal, seeing a movie in a theater. I played okay. golf yesterday, so oh, it was, it was yeah, I made Brittany. the... Yeah, I made the tea time like a week ago, and it said Friday it's going to be a high of 70. I thought, all right, that's the golf day. Yeah, yeah, 70, right. It was, uh, yeah, windy... I was just telling Captain Billy, on the putting greens, I had to hold my hat. You know, just it was going to fly off. It was not easy. Yeah, it was windy yesterday. And when you add in the fact that I hadn't swung a golf club since probably October, yeah, there were some ups and downs. But uh, we're going to get back at it tomorrow. Just uh, you know, spring is here. Tomorrow should be really nice. Things are warming up. Upper seventies. Yeah. How about you? Everybody good? Everybody's good. You know. Excellent. You know, you were on the golf course, I was in the hockey rink. That's how it works for you. That's true, right? That is your life. Yeah. You are a Minnesota hockey dad. That's true. At this point. Um, did you catch uh, any of the ladies' Final Four last night? I did. I was able to catch the uh, the tail end of uh, Arizona and UConn. Well, if you had caught the tail end of the first game, which was um, Stanford against South Carolina. I missed that. It was... Uh, about as dramatic a final minute because like the whistle never blew. It was just a couple of plays up and down. And um South Carolina had two shots under the basket to knock off the top seed in the tournament and couldn't well, the first one it was kind of a layup around the other side of the basket. She came up short, but this other um player grabbed it and had a chance for the putback at the buzzer and it was a little too strong with it. It fell out and Stanford survived to the championships. Very dramatic uh, less drama in the nightcap, the one you watched the end of, as UConn was stunned by Arizona, and uh, our Paige Becker's uh, freshman season is the 
Women's Player of the Year as a freshman. Freshman. Is that the first time? I think it was. I think I did see that it was. It's interesting, Double T, because I watched Arizona play for the first time in the Elite Eight because they were playing my alma mater. They were playing Indiana. Right. And the Hoosiers had never gotten to the Elite Eight. And it, it was the game right after UConn-Baylor, which was, it looked like a championship game. Those two teams were amazing. And then I watched Arizona and Indiana. I'm like, how are these two teams going to compete with any of those? And and that was a good game. It was. It was a good game. It was. And, yeah. and, and Indiana hung in there, and I thought, well, UConn's going to take them down. But I'll tell you what, the defense that, that Arizona played last night and that Ari McDonald, who is a star in the making, she'll shut you down. Two-time Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. She scored 26, 18, I think, in the in the first half. And she made things so difficult for Beckers all night long. She never got in a groove. And uh, she scored 18, but she had to work for every one of them. And uh, just a... A big upset victory for Arizona over UConn, and it, it was it was a personal thing for Arizona as well. You know, you playing against you know UConn, the, the story franchise in college basketball, yeah. and all of a sudden now you have to deal with the with the player of the year. So it was a personal challenge for them to go out and, and show the entire country, you know, that hey, you know, we are a good basketball team, and we have some good players as well. And, and last night they were able to show that. You know what else made it personal for Arizona? The NCAA did one of those Final Four hype videos. Okay. Not one shot of Arizona in the video. It was all about the other three teams. UConn, Stanford, uh, South Carolina didn't even mention Arizona. Wow. You take, you, you're you the coach. You take that. You show that to them and say, okay, yeah, we are the afterthought. It's we are. Dis- that's, that's a real disrespect. Isn't it? And that's that's enough, right? Isn't it to get you? I mean, I would run through a wall if that happened to my team. I'm well, ready. They play well. I mean, you know, when I was able to tune in. I was like, wow, Arizona's up. I was surprised to see Arizona up based yeah. on what we saw from UConn and Baylor. I thought that they were clearly the best two teams in, in women's college basketball, but Arizona and, and, and Stanford now will, will have something to say about that. But you just felt like that somehow, some way, UConn was going to make that run. They were going to make that run. Eight-point lead, get it down to five. Yeah, they got it to five, I think. But Arizona was able to to answer the call, and you know, great win for them, great win for them. But you know, it was interesting to to hear Gino's you know comments after the game, and I think someone may have uh, asked him the question about you know your team. Maybe they were overlooking Arizona; they weren't prepared to play. They thought this was going to be a cakewalk to the finals. And his comment back was that you know. This team is a very immature team, not just because they're young. But what I took from it was that he was saying that these girls and these women are fragile. Mm. When things are not going well for them, we don't know how to respond. And when things are going well, we are great front runners. And that was interesting to hear from a, from a head coach that perhaps in the first time in women's college basketball history, you had the player of the year as a freshman. And it's, it felt like to me he was shifting the blame, mm. you know, to his team more so than taking the responsibility for himself. Yeah, if you're calling your team fragile, it's on you and the coaching staff to knock that out of them, right? I mean, that that's on the coach. I mean, it, I thought that the comments at the end of the game were very interesting. You know, I don't know if he was just responding to the question that way. Yeah. You know, but I felt like that to beat Baylor, 
and to overcome, you know, a small deficit in the second half and what and what Page was able to do against that defense and that team. I know their Baylor's top defender got hurt. She pulled the hamstring and that allowed UConn to have some breathing room coming down on the offensive end. You know, but but to knock off Baylor to me shows some mental toughness. For sure. And <clears throat> now that the season is over for UConn, you can just take a step back and, and marvel at, at what Paige accomplished in her freshman year. We talked about the player of the year, and there was a video, I don't know if you saw it, where uh, Jean, Gino gave her the trophy, and she stood up in front of her team and kind of broke down. They all came over and hugged her, and it was kind of a sweet moment. And just to think that you know, a year ago, well, no, granted, there was no girls' tournament because everything closed down, but a year ago, you know, she was just playing for Hopkins, you know, and and doing her thing, and she was the best player in America, but you don't expect her to take that next step and take over college basketball as a freshman. I mean, you see it occasionally in the men's game. You don't see it ever in in the women's game, and, uh, you know, it's going to be tough because she and her team came up a game short of their goal, but at some point she'll look back and go, wow, what a whirlwind year and you know what have I accomplished? You know, and what what the future holds? It's it becomes tougher now, you know, because you know you know that target is there. Yeah, you know, you're the best player in college basketball as a freshman. You know, this all season will be very important for her. Even though she's the best player in college basketball at this stage on the women's side, she's going to have to work even harder now to become better so that she can stay at the top of her game. They've got a recruit coming in. Name escapes me at the moment. I looked her up a day or two ago who's the best player in America, who will join the UConn team. And she may not even be the best player <laughs> on, ironic, her, huh? on her team next season. <laughs> it is. Um, and the Final Four for the women is at Target Center next year. Okay. So what a fun story that will be as uh, you know, as Paige and UConn will likely be back and she'll be in her hometown. And, and I read something this week where she'd love to be able to turn pro after next season. That That's a goal of hers, and it's not allowed in the women's game at this moment. Uh, I think you have to play three seasons or be three years removed from high school. Okay. So um, that might be a story a year from now that we're talking about. Is she, will she be allowed to take her uh, talents to the oh, she's WNBA? Very, she's, she's very good. What is it about her game that uh, you admire uh, when you watch her play? You know, you, you look at the scoring for one, you know, but her ability to make her teammates better. She's a wonderful passer, but also she's a student of the game. And she's in constant movement. You know, she she doesn't she doesn't stand in one place. So it's hard to locate where she is. You know, she's just a basketball player. That's that's what she is. And to have that mindset at this young of age, understanding you know what the game is all about. You know, she's had some wonderful teachers along the way. No question about it. Uh, well, the men's uh, side resumes today. When we come back, we'll chat Final Four. We'll talk Gophers basketball as. They've added some players this week. Maybe one is going, maybe a couple are going, but a few have a sign on the dotted line for Ben Johnson. Indiana has hired a coach. I want to chat about that. So uh, we'll turn our attention to the men's game, and I'll explain why I am actively rooting against two teams today in the Final Four. I really want two teams to make it, and I'll tell you why when we come back. Just getting started. And the fan.
We're back. 818 on a Saturday morning. You are in the zone on the fan. Tucker and Sinekin hanging out with you till 10 o'clock, where we'll hand things off to Beyond the Pond. Catch you up on all the hockey news. Frozen Four coming up this week. Three Minnesota teams. A part of that, not the local group, but the others. Saturdays with Sauce follows that noon to two, and then Final Four action on the fan at three o'clock. Coverage beginning at two thirty. The Wild tonight, seven forty-five pregame with Kevin Faulness. I imagine then the Final Four will switch over to AM eleven thirty. Uh, last segment, Trent, I referenced the um, top recruit heading to UConn next year. Emailer Matt. Reminds me, her name is Ozzy Fudd. He says her grandparents are from Minnesota, so we got a local connection there. Okay. So I just looked her up because I had read about her earlier this week, and she's from the D.C. area. She, um, at 15 years old, she was at Steph, Steph Curry's SC30 Select Camp and became the first sophomore in history. At, at that camp at 15, she outshot all the boys. She okay. was the best shooter. Uh, at 16, she became the first sophomore in history to win the Gatorade National Girls Player of the Year Award as a sophomore. Tore her ACL junior year and came back for her senior year uh, after 18 months recovering and had an amazing season, averaging 19 a game. Here's what Steph Curry says about her. She can be going full speed and stop on a dime and have like a feathery release. I think she has more of a textbook jumper than anyone I've seen. Maybe Clay Thompson and Ozzy Fudd. You go Ray Allen... Clay Thompson and Ozzy Fudd, textbook. You would teach somebody how to shoot with their form. Okay. That's some high praise right there. Very high praise. That sounds like a decent backcourt for Geno next year, right? Page and Ozzy. Who's going to play the point? Page? I don't know. Maybe Ozzy yeah. can play it. I have no idea. I think Page has the ability to, you know, to move around and do a number of things because her game is so well-rounded. And, you know, like I mentioned before, the one of the things that impressed me the most is that her ability to pass the basketball. You know, she's a very, very good passer. And I think you and I were talking off the air. It's that, you know, she's a gym rat, you know, and she just loves to play basketball. And, and, and it showed this year by becoming, you know, the player of the year in, in women's basketball. I think at times Oriema thought she was a bit too much of a pass-first player. He wanted her to be a bit more selfish because of her shooting ability. Last night, I think she was... Just one for four in the first half. And she, again, was being guarded by Ari McDonald, who's the best defensive player on the West Coast, if not in the country, two-time tw- Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. And she made it just difficult for her to get anywhere yeah, and, and right. to, to get the ball in her hands. And well, and that's what you have to do you know, to a great scorer. You, know, you have to try to find a way to uh, take away their touches. Don't allow them to find their comfort zone. And, and the more time a great scorer can touch the basketball, they put more pressure there on the defense. And Arizona had a you know had a plan. You know they they had a they had a plan defensively that you know we're going to take certain things away from her uh, to force her into situations where it might be a little bit more difficult, and then live with the results from there. So it'll be an all Pac-12 national championship game tomorrow. Stanford, the top seed in the tournament, takes on upstart Arizona. Their first time in the Final Four, first time. In the championship game, their coach uh, was a former Lynx player, so there's a connection there. Meanwhile, the men resume this afternoon. It'll be Baylor against Houston, followed by UCLA-Gonzaga. No Big Ten teams. No teams east of the Mississippi in the Final Four for the first time ever. And, um, you know, we've been talking about it for weeks, if not months. You know, this is this the year the Big Ten finally ends 
the national title drought that's gone back since Mateen Cleaves and Michigan State back in 2000. And here we're in the Final Four, and none of the Big Ten teams even made it to this point. And it's a it's a real surprise. And we talked about Illinois getting uh, stunned by Loyola and and um, you know Purdue and Ohio State going down in the first round. Michigan just you know they just couldn't find a way to get one more basket. Yeah, how many chances did they have? I there mean, too? they just could not find a way to get one more hoop. That was a weird game for them because Franz Wagner could not get his shot to fall, and that's something we hadn't seen. All year. I mean, that he, why design the the game winning shot for him as ice cold as he was to shoot a three, which was an air ball? He clearly didn't have it at that point. That the whole night was a struggle for him. Yeah, I I have to believe that Jawan Howard was was hoping that he would make another play instead of taking that shot. Mm. Maybe get something going to the rim, come off the pick and roll, and look to attack. And get into the lane and, and and draw the defense and then and, and then make an extra pass. But when you're not shooting well, the confidence is not there. And for him to take that shot in that moment, I just felt like that ball had no chance to go in. And, and we saw the results at the end. And they finally really showed that they missed Isaiah Livers. Yeah, you know, they, that, yeah, they didn't have the best player. That's the guy you want the ball in his hands when you need a basket to win the game. That the senior that that's been there and is your leader. Yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan. You know, you know, they had their opportunities. Uh, you know they had some good looks coming down the stretch. They just could not. They just could not find a way to put that ball in the basket to close that game out. Think about where UCLA has come from. You know, a first four. <laughs> you know, they were down to Michigan State by like sixteen points in that game. In the first, just to get into the tournament. This is like VCU's run. You know, a while yeah. back with Shaka, but this is UCLA, and and virtually nobody picked them to beat Michigan State as hot as. Tom Izzo's team had been down the stretch. Yes, they lost in the Big Ten tournament early uh, to Maryland, I believe, but most believed that Michigan State was going to dispatch of UCLA, right, and that would yeah. be it. And uh, UCLA forces overtime and gets the win, and and they struggled. There. Right, but they did. It wasn't easy. Like They had overtime games in the tournament, and, and here they are as an 11 seed, uh, a team that lost its best player to an ACL in December that just... That Juzang guy couldn't miss the other night. He's a Kentucky transfer, and transfers are going to be a part, topic for us next segment. And all these teams, I think there's eight starters in the four Final Four teams that are transfer players. Yeah. So all these programs have taken advantage of this new Wild Wild West that's this year. It's it's even more uh, of a Wild Wild West. But that's the um, the Cinderella. Cinderella, I, I mentioned heading into the break, I'm, I'm actively rooting against two teams today. Okay. I'll say one more than the other. Um, as a Hoosier alum, I will always root against Calvin Sampson because of what he did as coach at Indiana, breaking the rules. Was texting? Uh, texting against the rules. He was, uh, I think, a five-year ban from coaching and kind of took our program, which had always been, at least as far as the NCAA knows, pure and clean. And then Bob Knight didn't cheat all those years, and he hated cheaters. He's just a madman. Correct. So I will never cheer for Kelvin Sampson. I know he's a great coach, but I'm all on Baylor. And then just selfishly, you know, Gonzaga's looking to become the first team since the 76 Hoosiers to finish the season undefeated. I know the Hoosiers aren't the only team to have done it. They're the eighth team to have done it, but no one's done it since. Uh, 24 plus 21, carry the three. That's what, 45 years it's been since there's been an undefeated team. Okay. If Gonzaga wins it, it's hard to not like that team, right? We know about Jalen Suggs and yeah, Kispert right and Timmy. And yeah, that's true. That, yeah. That's a fun team, and I'm not going to like, but, you know, a small part of me 
hates to see Indiana's, because then you won't even hear about the 76 Hoosiers anymore. It'll be the, the 21 Zags and the last undefeated team. So selfishly, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah, bother me. They'll still be in, in, on the list when you turn Correct. on ESPN. Yeah, they'll be on the list. They'll be on the list. I like being on top of the list. Right, you know. Uh, what that Zags team is attempted to do is, uh, it's a remarkable story from, from where that program was, you know, the last 20 years, how they've built and how they've gotten close to this point and, and never closed the door. And close the deal. And now they get UCLA. I think they're favored by 14 points today, which is remarkable in a Final Four. I think it's the biggest spread ever, Wow! at least in, in decades, well, in the you, Final you, Four. You can understand why, because no one felt like that first four in would be in the Final Four. You know, Nobody thought UCLA would be here, so you can understand why Vegas, I believe, has, has given uh, Gonzaga such a huge uh, point spread. Um, we, we talked about Paige, the top of the show. Um, it's what a great march for the state of Minnesota and, and uh, the players they are producing because uh, the season Jalen Suggs has had has been remarkable. And it's not sure. like they count on him to score 25 points a game. They count on him to kind of lead the show because they've got a number of athletes that, that can score the ball. Timmy was the hot guy in the Elite Eight game, but Kisper has been the big shooter all year long. They have role players. They just have a... A solid team, headlined by Jalen Suggs, a likely top three pick, uh, if not the top pick, depending on which team gets the first pick That's and what, what their needs are and all that. Uh, but he'll be on display uh, tonight in the nightcap as Gonzaga looks to make it, uh, what, 31-0 and and, um, and ready for whoever survives out of Baylor and Houston. And, you know, and it, it's a different year, obviously, with COVID, and, and they play in a conference where the competition is not great, and you can say, well, put an asterisk on the undefeated season. But if you look at the teams they still beat this year, outside of their conference, there can be no asterisk. There there can be no doubt that they deserve all the um, platitudes uh, that, that come their way. I mean, they, they destroyed Iowa. I don't have the list in front of me, but they took out a number of big-time, big-five conference programs. So... This is not a fluky team by any stretch of the imagination, and if you've watched them in the tournament, you know that they they oh yeah they're, they're the basketball team. But you know, Jalen Suggs is the guy that kind of sets the tone for them. All the other guys you mentioned who are very good basketball players, but in moments like this, you know, you need that one guy that can go out and get you a near triple double type game. And I think the Final Four is where we where we're really going to see the true value of what Jalen Suggs means to this team. Yeah, I get the feeling you're right. You know, it's sort of been a sleeping giant. They haven't needed him to score a lot. He's another guy, like Paige, that likes to distribute the ball, move it around, but good things happen when he's on the court, on both ends of the court. He's a gamer. That's what he is. He's a gamer. He, he's a guy that that lives for the big moments, and there's and there could be no bigger moment for college basketball than the Final Four. For sure, and, and Baylor-Houston should be entertaining as well. That Baylor team could very well be undefeated. They got the one loss. It came right after their COVID pause. Uh, it's taken them a while to get back to where they were. I don't know if they are quite back yet, but they're close. And they're they led by speed a, in that backcourt. Yeah, three-guard attack. Whoa, that, uh, that kid Mitchell? Yeah. Man, you're talking about a guy that, you know, that has some speed and change directions, and he can stop and go and get to the basket and finish with the best of them. That would be a very intriguing matchup. If Baylor and and the Zags play for the national championship, well, I think that's what probably a lot of people had initially when they filled out their brackets. Put all the upsets aside for a minute. 
these were the two best teams in college basketball all season. And they, they looked like they were going to be on an undefeated collision course. Uh, and then when Baylor comes out of the COVID pause, they get the loss. They almost lose to Iowa State, which didn't even win a game in the Big 12. They had to fight to so – you could tell that they were not the same. Um, and I think uh, you know a lot of us wanted to see Baylor get healthy and get back to that way they looked in December because they appeared to be the only team that could challenge – Gonzaga for 40 minutes, and they've got some limitations. They're not very big. They don't rebound really well, but man, can they shoot with with Butler, Mitchell, and Teague? Those three guards, man, they can shoot the lights out. If they're shooting well, if they get past Houston, and they're they shooting that ball, Houston. I believe they will get past Houston. I think they will too. Houston does a really good job rebounding yeah. and getting second shots, and that's that would be what would concern me with Baylor is if you can't rebound the basketball and give them a lot of second and third shots, you might be in trouble. Well, the main thing about Bailey is that if you can't contain penetration, and they have guys who can beat you off the dribble, and, and Mitchell, when he's, in, when he's in a one-on-one type situation, 95% of the time he's going to win that one-on-one matchup. He can score, he can pass, like you talked about, the guards are very good outside shooters. And when you get great guard penetration, all of a sudden now it allows your inside players to get to the offensive glass, to get those second and third chances, or find that, that, that open space you know, inside the lane where they can get some tough baskets around the hoop as well. If you can't contain Baylor's penetration, it's going to be very hard to beat them. Uh, that one should be fun. That's the first game. It's a 4-15 tip-off this afternoon. Again, both Final Four games. Uh, available on our sister on our station and our sister station once the wild starts tonight at about 7:45 pregame. We'll break here. Matt, Mike, and Pete will uh, open up the zone lines next segment. Uh, we'll talk more college basketball. Ben Johnson's transfers. Um, Oklahoma has a new coach. Indiana has a new coach. Uh, we'll continue our college basketball discussion when we come back after the- on the fan. We're back, 8.37 on a Saturday morning. Beautiful weekend on tap. Going to be fun to enjoy it. Tucker and Sinekin, we're hanging out till 10. You're in the zone on the fan, talking hoops. And talking college hoops right now. College coaching news this morning. Loyola coach Porter Moser is on the move. He will leave Chicago and head to Norman, Oklahoma to take over Lon Kruger's uh, who just retired his team, the Oklahoma Sooners. So Porter Moser, the new Oklahoma coach. We were talking last weekend, Double T, about the Indiana coaching search, and I told you I wasn't real excited about the prospect of Mike Woodson possibly being the Indiana coach. I think a day later he got the job. This this won't surprise you. I made a phone call. Did you? <laughs> yeah. This won't surprise you a bit. I've... I'm on board with the hire. Now, I'm excited about it. Okay. And one of the reasons I'm excited about it is that they brought Thad Mata in along with him to be kind of the basketball administrator to help. Because yeah. my big concern, as I told you, was he's been an NBA coach for 25 years. Yeah. And what does he know about what it takes to, to find you know high school talent? That's And he's 63, and 
you know, some of his peers have said, I'm not sure he's ready and, and ready to go fly around the country and recruit. But bringing in Thad Mata to explain and, and show him what it takes to try to build a college program eases a lot of those concerns for me. They also kept Kenya Hunter, a, a top assistant, who is a great recruiter on the staff. He brought Parker Stewart over. Now, Parker Stewart was a guard for Pitt who transferred to coach for to play for his dad at Tennessee Martin last year. Okay. Averaged 20 a game, and his dad passed away during the season. And he transferred to Indiana during this, like in November, and didn't play for Indiana this year, and entered the portal when Archie was fired, but has now recommitted to Indiana and said, I'm, I'm back, as did Trace Jackson Davis yesterday. Yeah, I played for Mike Wilson. He said, Jackson Davis said, as everybody knows, first team All-Big Ten player, we were gone. We were about to hire an agent. My folks and I, we knew that was the right decision. And they met with Woodson for an hour, and five minutes after the meeting, he said, I'm back for my junior year. Yeah. Because he knows what Woodson can do and, and help him with his game to get him, and that's what's going to be appealing, right, to young kids. I know everybody in the NBA. I coached there 25 years. I know what it takes to be an NBA player. I can help you get there. And he played in the NBA as well. I mean, when you, when you, when you build your staff out, you know, you bring in, you know, certain pieces to the puzzle. And all good leaders need people who can do different things. You need guys who are organizers, guys who are process people. You know, just because you're the guy at the top doesn't mean that you have to wear every hat. It's like when you took over the Minneapolis Athletic there Department. You, go, right. you found people that knew, uh, that you knew were going to help you get that job done. Well, you know, I have a vision. But who's on my team that can help me carry out this vision? but also help me navigate the waters into a system that I'm going into for the first time. Yeah, I understand what it is to, to build athletes and, and have a successful team, but also there are other things that comes along with this, that as a guy in charge, you can't be focused on every single aspect every day because you can never carry your vision out or get to the vision that you have you know, for this, for this program. So that's why you need to make sure that you have the right people in place that can handle you know, those responsibilities right. so that you can do the job that you were hired to do. And that's what Woodson's going to do now is build his staff out. The one thing he said that concerned me a bit was, because he's all about Indiana. He's from Indy. You know, He wants to be the bridge to bring back the alumni and, and make Indiana feel like what it felt like before. And he's the first Indiana hire that, that was an Indiana guy through and through. He said, I'm not sure I even need to recruit beyond this state. There's enough talent in this state for me to build a program. All right, that's cute and everything, but no. Let, let's. You're not going to get everybody in the state. You know, there's Ohio State, and there's Purdue, and there's Notre Dame, and there's program Butler around you that are going to siphon guys. This is a national program. Let's let's go beyond the, the walls of Indiana and find out. I don't think he meant that literally, but I... It concerned me a little bit. Let, let's make sure we're looking everywhere and turning over no, every he rock. Will. I mean, you know, you know, you 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 you're, you're talking about a guy that has selling points. You know, he has points. He want to make sure that the people in Indiana understands. But for sure, he's going to look for guys all around the country. And Mike Wilson understands and knows that there are so many talented players out here, and he's going to have to to find the right guys who can come in and do the things that he would like for them to do in jail as a basketball team. But Mike Wilson's knowledge and experience and all the people that he has learned from and the guys he has played against is going to serve these young people very, very well. And as you mentioned before, you know, once he gets 
to the point where he can coach. You're not going to find anyone at the collegiate level that's going to out-coach him. Right. But all the other stuff that comes with it, you have to make sure that you have the right team around you so those guys can solidify those other things that at this time the head coaches should not be doing. Coincidentally, his name came up on SportsCenter last night, NBA-related. Giannis scored 47 last night in Portland and shot 85% from the floor. Okay. 18 for 18 inside the three-point line. He's the third player to do it, to shoot 85% um, with, I don't know, the, the minimum, like 30 points, whatever it was. Okay. Um, the last person to do it was Mike Woodson yeah. in 1983. Uh, and Will Chamberlain in like 68, 69 before that. Probably did it, what, 40 times? <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> but I wouldn't have guessed that, that Woodson uh, shot 85% from the floor in the game. And obviously, oh, yeah. you... Uh, yeah, what he what he was a good player, man. What he was a really good player, really good shooter. He averaged fourteen a game over eleven years. He understood, you know, he was very good in Bob Knight's system. He was very difficult to guard because Bob Knight used him, used his talents very, very well. They set screens for him. They ran him, they ran him here and there. He was a constant. He was constantly on the move. And Mike Wilson was a very, very good basketball player. What's interesting is he came to IU the year after the perfect season. And his senior year was Isaiah Thomas's freshman year, and the next year they won the '81 championship. Yeah. So he he left the year before I came to Indiana. I was there '80 '81. I like Mike a great deal. You know, he and I he and I have become you know decent friends over the years, and you know a few times he he's come to some events that I put I put on outside of Minnesota, and it's just nice to kind of sit down and talk to him. You know about Big Ten basketball, the NBA. You know he played for the Knicks as well, and talk about how all the things kind of transformed from the time he was there into the time that I was there. You know, just uh, uh, a great deal of knowledge on how the game should be played. So I believe that Mike Wilson will be good for the Hoosiers. Sounds like you and I need to make a road trip to Assembly Hall. We'll visit Jackson. Why not? Well, take you know, him to dinner and, going down and play take him. in a game. We'll go to the, uh, the, Bloom, the Minnesota-Indiana game right. in Bloomington. Let's work that out. Uh, we'll talk about what the Gophers have done and added players in a moment, but let's get to a couple of calls here first, beginning with Matt checking in from Brooklyn Park. Good morning. Morning, guys. Hey, Dave, did you feel terrible as I did for that poor girl that lost or that missed the putback yes. for South Carolina as the camera was on her? In tears. Falling her eyes out. Yeah. Oh, God. Instantly in I, tears, I, yeah. And I was kind of rooting for Stanford. I love Staley. She's a great coach, but there's something about Stanford. I felt terrible. Trent, you've been there. You should see it. It's just awful. You can't, That girl won't sleep for six months, knowing, I don't know if she's a senior or not, but I felt terrible for her. But, you know, you guys mentioned um, uh, Wagner. You, you guys, I don't know. I love Juwan, and he's great, and he deserved the AP Coach of the Year. He needed to design that play for Shawnee Brown, who was their best three-point shooter the whole tournament and was two for three that night. Vodner was two for 17 in the tournament. I don't know what they were doing, but as poorly as they played, they gave up the 28 of the 51 to Juzang. They still should have won the game. It was just terrible to watch. It was so uncharacteristic of them. But, you guys, it led me to – I read an article in the Free Press, and I was reminded that – they're letting seniors get that extra year because it said Juwan is welcoming back the seniors. So I'm already thinking, okay, Dickinson's not a senior, but he, he is not ready for the NBA. I think he needs to come back, and I want your opinion. Um, I don't think Wagner's ready. I know that he's a projected lottery pick, blah, 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 but he can't shoot. Then I thought, okay, Eli Brooks, maybe he'll come back as the senior thing. 
and levers, you guys, I doubt he will. But he had the foot surgery two days ago. They're saying four to six months. He's missing all that NBA stuff. I'm wondering, do you guys think that maybe he might consider coming back, which means we get just about the whole team back, plus that great recruiting class. And then lastly, do you guys have anybody from your alma maters that might do that senior thing and come back that might help him out? And, Professor, go Zags today, baby. All right. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the call. Uh, I'd like to think Dickinson comes back. He had a really nice freshman year. But nobody knows what, what the situation is for these players. You know, does... You know, Eli Brooks, does he want to come back? Does he love playing for Howard? And, you know, I would have thought Al Durham would have come back in Indiana. He's going to Providence now as a graduate transfer. And so, you know, all these kids have these big decisions to make. I'm frankly, I don't want all those Michigan guys to come back. You know, we want the Gophers to rise in the standings and the Hoosiers and, uh, Michigan's going to be a tough team, but they've got, they got a lot of talent there that has some tough decisions. I don't think, I don't think Wagner's ready to, to, make a move to the NBA, but maybe going to the NBA and, and learning from, you know, that level. It might take him a few years to, to be where he wants to be, but uh yeah, that was an ugly an ugly game for him, which was too bad because he had he had looked really good, you know, down the stretch for Michigan. Well, you know, Jerron Howard when you have a guy who's been perhaps your best shooter all year, one of your better players, even though when they struggle, most coaches still will put them in, in critical moments to see if they can make the right play here or there. And they would trust them. And it happens. I remember back in, I'm thinking, 87, 88, almost 89 season, and we were playing in the first round against the Philadelphia 76ers. Back then it was, what, three out of five? Mm-hmm. And we win the first game, and the second game, I couldn't make a shot. I was like 0 for 10. Wow. Couldn't make a shot. And the game before, I was probably you know, six of eight or whatever. Got the same shots two days later, couldn't make a shot. We're down by 10 with two minutes to go. We're thinking, you know, people saying this is a lost game. Now you go back to Philadelphia for two games. You know, they could end the, they could, they could end the series on, with two wins on their home floor. And all of a sudden with two minutes to go, we score eight straight points. And the, the next, the final possession Patrick Ewan makes a great defensive play against Maurice Cheeks. Now we get the ball back with, I don't know, 18 seconds to go. And during that, that two-minute stretch, Rick Pitino puts me back in the game, and I'm 0 for 10. You know, you, you get the groans coming from uh, <laughs> from Madison Square Garden faithfuls, right? Mm-hmm. That's got to make you feel good. Right, why are you probably putting him back in the game? Right. He can't make a shot. But, but he felt like defensively I was a perfect fit for what we wanted to do. And also, even though I was 0 for 10, I was still a threat on the floor as, as an outside shooter. And after my other four teammates score eight straight points, who gets the last shot to win the game? The ball comes to me. I'm 0 for 10. You know, nobody's thinking, hey, you know, there's no way he's going to have confidence to make the shot. But you've been in those moments before. Even though when things are not going well, when you get a shot that you know that you can make, the first thing you think about is that from a technique standpoint, you know, this has to be the most technical shot I've ever taken in my life. Everything has to work right. And then you live with the results from there. I knocked down the three. We win by one point. We win 3-0. Where, were, where was the shot from? Where, where on the court? Uh, it was a three-pointer, 27 feet. Like corner, on elbow? The, on the wing area. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't even occur to you to pass it off at all. I, 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 I didn't know because when Mark Jackson penetrated, my man left to go help So you were out. wide open. It's and right there for So him. it was the play was designed – 
you know, for Mark Jackson to make a move going toward the hoop. And if the defense, you know, rotated to cut off his, his penetration, I was the outlet guy. And when I saw that Mark Jackson made his move and my guy Ron Anderson went to help out, I said, well, you know, the ball is coming to me. So the offense had, had did what the offense was supposed to do. Now it, it was left up to the player to do what he was supposed to do. And on that day, I was able to knock down that shot to give us a 2-0 lead. Was that your only game-winning playoff shot? I can't. I mean, I'm sure I watched it. Who, I, mean, I don't remember stuff like that, but I didn't miss games in the 80s. No. Did you do it again? Uh-huh. I had a few. I had, I think, perhaps my biggest playoff shot was in the next round against Chicago. The, the two-tenths of a second shot? No, that was a, that was a regular season game. That was, wasn't it? We were down four in game six of the 89 uh, semifinals. Uh, and we ran a play. Charles Oakley was taking the ball out of bounds. I, Patrick Ewan faked up and came to the ball. And I, and I was going back door, and he came and gave me a little handoff from 27 feet. I went up and shot the three, and Craig Hodges five on the three-point shot. Mm. So I tied the game up. So I had a four-point play. So I think during that time, they weren't counting four-point plays, so I was one of the few guys at playoff time, one of the first few guys to ever make a four-point play mm. in, in a playoff-type situation. And then Michael Jordan made two free throws to close us out, so we lost in game number six. So, But coaches were will always rely on certain guys, even though when things are not going well for them to see if they can perform in certain moments because they have been there before. And, you know, Wagner had never necessarily been there before, but he was a guy that they counted on all oh, season. Oh, yeah. I mean, you he, figure, he, like, all right, he's, he's going to knock one yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, he, you get to the Elite Eight, I mean, but throughout the, the regular season when Michigan had to win some tough games and, and, and things were tough coming down the stretch, he was in those moments. Right. And he, has, and he, he had come up big for them before, but... Even though you're struggling, you know, coaches may say, hey, you know, I'm still going back to my guy. One guy who probably wasn't crying too much about Michigan being knocked out was our favorite Ohio State fan, Pete, checking in from Minneapolis. Good morning. Actually, I was because, you know, all year we'd heard about how great the Big Ten was. And even three weeks ago, you two were on March 13th, the semifinal, the day, the day of the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament. On this very program, you guys were both talking about kicking back with the with a big bowl of popcorn in Washington, Dragon, <laughs> Illinois, in the national championship game. And I tried to get in that day. I, I did, but I couldn't. I called too late. And and I was going to say, yeah, they look really great against Rutgers, but I've seen this movie, you know, on Friday night. But I've seen this movie so many times where a team will just look unbeatable. They'll run all over a team. And I'll think, you know, this team is going to win it all. And then the next game they face a team – who can keep up with their speed and plays a little tougher defense, who can rebound, and all of a sudden they look kind of ordinary, i.e. when they played Ohio State in the championship game on Sunday. Ohio State lost, but it went to overtime. And, you know, and they weren't running all over the court like they were against Rutgers. So, what I mean, what happened to the Big Ten? So, anyway, I was rooting for Michigan, but it was kind of odd because I was wanted to win, but I wasn't feeling really bad when UCLA was doing good. You know what I mean? It's sort of like... Yeah. You know, it was like, because I wanted the Big Ten to at least make the Final Four. You know, this was horrible. What happened? Were we? Why were we duped again is what I want to know. Because all year long, it was how far and away the Big Ten was the best conference, and we sent one team to the Sweet 16, zero to the Final Four. It's going to be now 22 years or whatever without a, uh, you know, championship. 
Yeah, thanks for the call. You know, we I think we tackled this a little bit last week when we knew uh, that the Big Ten was flaming out. And to be fair, the Big 12, outside of Baylor, you know, the one team, their whole conference got knocked out early as well and didn't perform real well. So you can say, you know, A, you know, multiple choice. A, the conference is overrated. B, you play 20 games against those guys and, you you know, you wear yourself out. And then there's a tournament after the 20 games. And then the, the, the NCAAs. And there's just not a lot left. I mean, look, Michigan had to play so many games after that COVID pause that, that maybe they just didn't have legs left. So you can you can blame the the tough conference and, and all the competition. Uh, you know, that's B. And C, it's just, hey, you know, it just turned out that your five or six teams on, on a given day didn't play very well. I don't think the conference was overrated. I mean, I think we saw I them. I agree with you on that. You know, yeah, I mean, they played non-conference games, and, and, and this conference showed how strong it was, as did the Big 12. Uh, it was just one of those years where things didn't go their way, you know, starting with Ohio State in the first round and Purdue in the second, and obviously Illinois in the first round. Um, but it, it is a shocker. It was a shocker that one Big Ten team reached the Sweet 16. If you would have said that when this tournament started, you would have taken any bet, you know, that came your way that wanted that side, that, that only one Big Ten team would get that far. Um, it happens. And, you know, we all thought our conference was the best in the land. You know, it was. For three months, we we saw the competition, but man, they they really kicked it around there. The first couple of rounds of the Big Ten tour, or the uh, NCAA tournament, right? I mean, you're seeing you know c- certain teams for the first time, and it's a different style, and you know there was a lot of different things that took place this year. But when you're playing against someone that you're not familiar with, and over the last two or three months, you were used to playing a certain way, and you saw certain teams, and there were certain styles that you got prepared for. And all of a sudden now you play against an opponent that's going to spread you out and shoot three-point shots from all over the place, and they're going to play a much faster game. You know, it may take you a day or two to to adjust to that. And come March Madness, you don't have a day or two to adjust. If you're not ready on that day or not prepared, well, you know, you're going to go home very quickly. For sure. we got to go home at least for uh, a pause here, top of the hour pause. We'll come back. Ben Johnson's been busy adding players to his program. We'll chat about the new-look backcourt for the Golden Gophers for next season as it stands right now, and then we'll turn our attentions to the National Basketball Association and uh, talk some Wolves as well. Uh, stay with us. One hour down, one to go. This is fan. on a Saturday morning. Trent Tucker, Dave Sinekin, Brianne Burdett running things across the glass. Happy to be with you as always. Hour number two in the zone. But all college hoops will continue that before we move on to the NBA because Double T, it's been an active week for your alma mater as Ben Johnson moves to fill out his roster with now six players in the transfer portal. Six? Which is Which is the new basketball phrase the transfer portal so it's the new norm it is the new norm as players are allowed to transfer and play immediately and i want to get your thoughts because we've we've all long a lot of us have long 
wanted this. If coaches can, like Porter Moser, leaving Loyola, heading to Oklahoma, all the players he brought there with a vision are stuck there. And they went there for him, and now he's gone. And they, in the past, are not allowed to leave. If they are allowed to leave, they have to sit out a year. Right. So we all want freedom, I believe, for players. Um, as Roy Williams retired. Quality. Exactly. When Roy Williams called it a Hall of Fame career a day or two ago, you know, he mentioned that, you know, part of this is it's it's a new world and he's not all aboard the the transfer portal train and that he doesn't want kids, you know, the first sign of um something going wrong, um, first time that they're facing some conflict, they can just say, Well, I'm gone. I'm out. you're gonna talk to me like that, I'm out. Right. Is it is it is it a is it a one time deal? No. No, you can do it every any, any, all any, at any time. I mean, for multiple years. For now, it's wide open. Yes, okay. they, they've right. not said this is a one year test, as far as I know. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, I I like it. Look, there are going to be some kids that probably leave when they shouldn't. That don't like the way their coach is talking to them. Don't like the fact that there's a guy that's better than them playing their position, and so they want to find greener pastures. But that's where we're at, and I would think most of Gopher Nation had to be surprised when they read the news earlier this week that Gabe Kalsher had put his name into the transfer portal. We all know a local kid, recruited by Ben Johnson, who suffered the injury that cut his season short, had really struggled with his shot this year That's true. Um, after shooting lights out his freshman year, but still showed he is a really nice defensive player. And once he finds his stroke back, you know he's a could be a big part of this program. I was surprised that that he wouldn't want to play for Ben Johnson. And maybe he will return, but he's keeping his options open and looking to see what might be out there. Did that surprise you when, when you yeah, saw that? Yeah, that one surprised me the most. That one surprised me the most. We, we knew that Mashburn and and uh, Trey Williams and Sam Freeman, they had all put their names in. Marcus Carr. Yeah, Marcus Carr, You know who knows what his future holds, whether he tries to, to move on to the pro game. But... Um, but Johnson did find some reinforcements this week, beginning uh, with a former De La Salle player from Robbinsdale named James, Jameson Battle, six seven player from George Washington who averaged like nineteen a game. Okay, he uh, he will play for the Maroon and Gold and come home. Couple of guards yesterday: William and Mary guard Luke Lowe, six three guard out of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, who uh, is a really good three point shooter, averaged about sixteen and a half points a game, five rebounds couple assists. He was an all-Patriot League player. He joins this team and, and can shoot from three, which will be a nice change of pace yeah. for Gopher fans. And then uh, E.J. Stevens, a player, another 6'3 player out of Florida, who played at Lafayette College, averaged 16 a game. He is coming up to play for Ben Johnson. So just like that, this week, uh, Johnson reinforces this roster with three transfers. And this is something Patino's done, obviously, right? Marcus Carr was a transfer, Liam Robbins. He has been using that uh, loophole, that new rule, finding players that are unhappy where they were. And uh, and Johnson knew that coming in late, didn't get a chance to recruit for this season. Players are leaving. He's got to find guys. And uh, instantly he's found three guys this week to add to the program. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, I mean, it's like I say, Gabe is is a little surprising, but either you're in or you're not. And, and I believe that, you know, once you go into the transfer portal, to me, you're gone. To me, you're gone. I just say, hey, you know, we're moving on. So I, I'm assuming they've had some conversations here and there. And maybe, uh, you know, Ben Johnson laid out a plan on, on how he felt like that 
you know, some of these players would be a good fit for what he's trying to do. And after the conversation took place and you still put your name in the, uh, in the transfer, in the transfer portal, I'm just saying, okay, you, you're gone. We're moving on without you. You know, I, I would love to have you here, but evidently you, you know, you, you think that right now this is not the right place for you. So I don't have time to wait around to wait and see what you're going to do two or three weeks from now. Either you're in or you're not. Well, and I think specifically with Kalsher, right? Because yeah, either you're in or you're not. It, it sounds like Gabe sort of looked at the at the situation and said, all right, this is not the best spot for me. Or is there competition at his position from some of these news guys coming in? Well, but he made his decision before these guys came in. Okay. Now, he, he knew guys were going to be offered well, maybe, positions. You know, maybe these guys just got announced to us. Maybe you know he heard the rumblings and, and he may have gotten some information about certain guys might be coming in that we didn't know. Yeah, before maybe these, be, be, before these guys were announced to us. You know, sometimes players, you know, they they you know they get information before the public can receive it, and they say, hey, you know, maybe there's competition here, and maybe it's time for me to look and to go somewhere else and see if I can get get a job done there. Yeah, either way, we'll wish Gabe the best wherever he ends up. Uh, I think though it does say something that that Johnson has identified guys and has sold them so quickly because a couple of these guys just put their names in the transfer portal, you know, a day or so. But now for Jamison Battle, local kid from De La Salle, you know, here's, you know, Ben Johnson running the show. Uh, why not play for a guy that played here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but for the other guys from uh, the other two schools, obviously Johnson did a nice job of, of selling them on his vision. And that's, I think, just a, a good sign that, that he was able to, to get guys to, to believe instantly, you know, within a few days here to, to help build Maybe this you're program. Going to, back uh, you're going to a Big Ten school, going to a Power 5 conference school. I mean, and where some of these guys are coming from, you know, they may not, their schools may not have the same visibility of a university in Minnesota. So it's also a great opportunity for them as well. No doubt. To play for, to, to play in a conference like this. Yeah, you're playing at William & Mary one year, you know, and all suddenly... You're in the Big Ten. You're on ESPN, you right. know, fifteen yeah. times a year. So this is a, so this is a big jump for them as well. Now, you, you're hoping that they have the talent level, even though they play well from where they came from. But now you're you're hoping that that their ability as a player is able to take the next step and compete at the Big Ten level. Well, one thing about this new transfer portal era is it does make for some interesting times here this time of year. As you think you have a the typical recruiting season, you build your uh, class for the next year. Now we've got these weeks of, you know, who are the Gophers going to find, who might Indiana find, and other schools looking to reload. Um, so it just it's almost like a free agency period for college. It is, really. It's free agency for college basketball, and it gives the players some power for the first time ever. And they're looking for a lot more power, as we know, as uh, they've gone to the Supreme Court to try to allow themselves to have even more power and make some money off their, their name and their, their rights. So... Hopefully it's the dawning of a new era as players finally have a voice uh, in this multi-billion dollar industry we call college hoops. Yeah, I, I like that as well. Before we switch over to the NBA, let's uh, head to the phone lines. Welcome our buddy John checking in from Minneapolis. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Senegan. Good morning, Mr. Tucker. How John, what's up, my man? Uh, enjoying the conversation. All right. Uh, I love to hire by by Minnesota uh, University for bringing Ben Johnson in. I like to hire. Uh, but I'm finna take a pot shot at the players that are in transfer uh, transfer portal. I wasn't impressed with none of them, not a one. Marcus Carr, Trey Williams, or the Cavaliers, dude. I wasn't impressed. Uh, I think they need to leave. Bring some fresh blood in here. Give this man a chance. 
This man ain't even been on the sidelines yet for them. They always say, well, we don't like to hire. Give the man a chance. He's trying to bring people in here. I would like to see the man succeed. I haven't heard too many grad, you know, graduates come back and say, well, hey, I, I want to coach the team. What? I'm surprised people are not giving the man a shot. But I heard y'all conversation earlier about the Final Four. Uh Baylor better watch out for Houston. I heard Mr. Tucker saying, I mean, Mr. Dinnigan saying that they know how to rebound. They also got that two-way player that he really shocked the heck out of, out of the last team they played. He got up and down the field. I'm in the court. He named Ja Rule or something. Uh, he's really a good player. He played two ways. I think they NBA players nowadays. They think they, I think they need to do that. But, uh, I want to know if I feel like the way I feel that that uh, that player for Gonzaga. No, not Mr. Suggs, the Timmy dude. Don't he remind you of somebody who used to play for the Duke Blue Devils a while back? Uh, used to shoot threes and, and run up and down the field all excited and stuff. The man played just like uh, what's his name, Christian Leitner. I'm pretty sure y'all remember him. He played just like that dude, but of the new era now, but I can't wait for the Final Four to jump off. Uh, Mr. Sinigan, uh don't be mad at me or what I'm getting ready to say. If your Milwaukee Bucks are going to go by one game, they're going to be sitting at home again. It better be a team-oriented playoff run for that team. Y'all have a nice day. I'm out. All right, thanks, John. Uh, first back on the players leaving, I disagree. I-, I liked what I saw from Jamal Mashburn and Trey Williams. Uh, I thought those kids got better as the season went on, and I was excited about what the future backcourt might look like for the Gophers. So, you know, again, Patino recruits him. He's gone. That's their guy. They want to move on. I don't. I give them all the credit in the world. Do what you got to do. Yeah. But I, I like their game. I mean, Jamal. Okay. Both those guys can play. Um, as far as the Bucks go, I'm very happy with the direction the Bucks are moving. Uh, they are looking like a different team this season. They're, yes, Giannis had a huge night last night, but he didn't force anything. Drew Holiday, to me, was the glue for that team, and, and he's finally getting his legs back from COVID, uh, which hit him pretty hard. Uh, the, the Bucks have won, I don't know what it is, like 10 of 11, 11 of 12, uh, and they still don't really have P.J. Tucker yet because he injured his calf when he first came around. Um, but the addition of Bobby Portis, uh, Bryn Forbes, they're all starting to get to know each other a little bit. And, yeah, it's going to be tough to get past Brooklyn and maybe Philly as well. But um, it's a different Giannis. And have you seen his free-throw shooting ability now? I have not. So, first of all, it, it takes forever, okay? he he. It takes longer than 10 seconds, you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. Um, but as bad as he was shooting free-throws last season, even early this season, he's got a new thing where first, before he even gets the ball, he does the whole shot, like shooting air, before he gets it. And then he gets it, and he takes a deep breath, and then he dribbles six or seven times, and then he pauses, and then he shoots it. And he's knocking them down. I mean, he was at like 90% over about a 15-game stretch there. So at least it's not embarrassing. Like, you can follow Giannis at the end of games and have some fun. And and so I, I'm pleased with the progress the Bucks are making and the direction they're going. And, sure. Uh, that said, the East is tougher than it's been. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the Milwaukee has been a very good team or a strong team over the last few years during the regular season. You know, Giannis back-to-back MVPs. 
But the major concern for the Milwaukee Bucks is not how they play during their regular season. Will this great regular season run at some point in time translate over to them having a great playoff run? And that's where the that's where the knock comes in about Giannis. Well, he got hurt can last he, year, but can he still be the best player? Can he be the most dominating player? Can he be? Can he make his team the most dominating team come playoff time? And we're still waiting to see that. And and until Milwaukee is able to get over that hump with Giannis as their leader, that question will always still be there: Can Giannis get it done? At playoff time. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, last year he got hurt in the playoffs, so what are you going to do? He, what, a year before? The year before, they had a 2-0 lead on the eventual champion Raptors, and they let Game 3 get away, and then the Raptors went on a run with Kawhi. I mean, but, yes, I hear you. You're right. The, yeah, the whispers the will be there, yeah. but it's not like it's been a five-year, every year he falls short. Like He's not a Paul George in the playoffs at this point, uh, but he does have to make that statement and, and get this yeah. team to the finals, mm-hmm. and now he's got, and they've got, a real roadblock in the Brooklyn Nets, which well, they didn't have before this season. Well, the East will all playoffs. Playoff basketball is tough. I mean, you know, you talk about Brooklyn, we talk about Philadelphia, you know, but some of those teams like Miami come playoff time. You know, they're going to add some pieces here or there. Maybe they're going to get fully healthy, and all of a sudden in a seven game series, they're going to design things from a defensive standpoint that are going to take certain things away. Has Giannis has Giannis changed? Will he be able to adjust his game at playoff time compared to how he plays during the regular season? In the regular season, we don't have time to adjust. We don't have some of the better teams that you play on a nightly basis. But all of a sudden now you're playing against a guy like Eric Spolstra. Okay, he's got three or four days to, to pick you apart from a film session to say, okay, let's force him to this point of the floor. We're going to double-team him here. Now Giannis doesn't get 25 points, but can he make his teammates better? Yep. Those are the questions now that comes up. And also, the guys who are on his team, are they ready to step in those moments and deliver to help Giannis you know, get past the first or second round and have that and have that huge run come playoff time? He's still going to need his teammates to step up and get the, do- and get the job done also. They did add a little bench piece that will be familiar to Wolves fans, Jeff Teague. Oh, uh, Jeff Teague is there now. Rejoins Mike Budenholzer. He you had like his that? best years with the Hawks. They they needed a backup point guard. Yeah. They traded DJ Augustine uh, in the PJ Tucker deal. So yeah, they needed a, another point guard. I'm and, surprised to see Gary Trent got traded. Yeah, for Norman Powell. I was like, wow. I know. Like, Where have I been? I know. <laughs> that was a surprising deal for sure. Uh, before we pause, let's grab one more call in this break, and we'll switch to a, a more NBA conversation after the break. Matthew checking in from Minneapolis. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for taking my call today. Mm-hmm. Thanks for taking my call, Trent. All right. Um, I want to talk about Minnesota recruiting, and I also want to talk. I also want to challenge like a lot of the net negatives that we perceive to have in Minnesota. For example, like one of the net negatives is they always say like players don't want to play at the barn, right? And I struggle with that because in the state of Minnesota, right, we have arguably some of the best volleyball players, probably some of the best hockey players. Um, And then, of course, we have some of the best basketball players in the country, right? Yep. And we we see that. Like uh, Dawson Garcia at Marquette, uh, McKinley Wright, um, uh, going all the way back to Troy Bell and the Javon Ikes uh, of the world. 
and Jake Sullivan's of the world. So, and look look at what Coach Lindsey Whalen is doing in terms of recruiting the state of Minnesota, right? And like I I have this sentiment that if you if you recruit the state of Minnesota like you should, the Minnesota Gophers basketball team should be in the elite eight every year. Uh, that's going a bit far. I mean, let's let's be honest. That's very few teams get to the elite eight every year. Um, but I, I'm going to let you go because we're late for a pause. I get what you're saying, and I think that was Richard Pitino's downfall. I think he he did not appear to recruit the talent in this state as hard as he should have. It's almost as he didn't think it measured up. It it almost felt like, well, I can't. I'm in Minnesota. I'm not in Indiana or Ohio or Texas. Yeah. And I think that was his downfall. He didn't maybe respect the amount of talent that this state was producing and churning out. And maybe and maybe didn't go after him that hard. But you can't expect this program to compete for the Elite Eight every single season. Very few programs could do well, that. Well, you know, many people have said it's hard to recruit in your backyard. I'm going to name four guys during my time that either they were Mr. Basketball or they were first team at that time, maybe McDonald's or Parade All-Americans. Kevin McHale. Randy Brewer was the best player in the state. Jim Peterson was a McDonald's All-American, I believe. Ben Coleman, North Minneapolis. Yeah. And all four of those guys were the top players in the state of Minnesota. So, so where did they go to school? At the University of Minnesota. There you go. So there's there, a, there is a way so, to protect so, so, them. So you can't get it done. Yeah, you can protect you know, the borders. Sam Jacobson, right, was one of the top players in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Okay? I mean, so... If you're willing to, to go in and, and put the work in and, and sell the University of Minnesota, I've known in the past, you know, that four or five of the top players during the time that I was playing at the University of Minnesota or just after I left, you know, they were able to get some of the top high school basketball players from this area. I have a feeling those days are done. Ben Johnson will work tirelessly to, uh, to keep the best players home. And you're not going to keep everybody home. But um, you see a guy like Will Shetter from Stewartville heading up to Michigan, you know, and, and he's going to be, a, I think, a terrific player. But you look at him and say, really? I mean, how hard did the Gophers go after him? You know, that's the kind of guy you got to work your darndest to make sure you get your best shot of keeping him home because yeah. you're going to have to watch him now for a few years and wonder, how do we let this guy go? The only thing I like to see them change in the barn is the color of the floor. I hate that too. It's hard to watch on TV I know, now. Man. It's uh, distracting. It and maybe is. we're so used to the yellow, but it's just distracting. Yeah. All right. We'll pause here, come back, uh, check out the, the latest on the Wolves and what they're up to. And uh, we'll do that when we come back. The Fan. We're back at 928. The late, great Marvin Gaye would have been 82 years of age today. Obviously, his life cut far too short in a tragic story of his father shooting him, which is just crazy. Obviously, uh, fans of the Bumper to Bumper show, very familiar with Marvin Gaye. I was, you know, I was in the Sam Cooke camp. You know, he was my guy. 
Can't go wrong either Sam way. Sam Cook? Two of the great voices. Ah, you're going way back. Oh, Sam's my guy. Or Curtis Mayfield. Curtis Mayfield, too. Yeah. Man. But uh, you you give me a, a quiet night at home with some Sam Cook music, man. I'm ah, good. You know? I'm good. Very I, impressed and, with that. And not the punter from the Ravens, Sam Cook. This is I, I know you're talking about. Different, uh, yeah. different deal. Um, the Wolves will return to action tonight in Philly. And fortunately for them, Joel Embiid will make his return as well. After uh, missing a number of games with an injury, he will uh, be back tonight for the Sixers to face a Wolves team that is coming off a 120-108 to loss in Memphis last night. Uh, following what was a pretty stirring come-from-behind victory over the Knicks a couple nights earlier, double-digit uh, uh, trailing by double digits in the second half, Wolves came back and beat the Knicks by a point. Uh, but they are now 1-11 following wins. They have not had back-to-back wins since Christmas time, and um, they just can't beat the Grizzlies. For whatever reason, uh, right now the Grizzlies have their number. Cat had 30-15. and 15. He's looked very good of late. Ant as well, 22 points, 6 assists. Wolves did not have Ricky Rubio last night with back spasms, and he's, uh, I don't know what his status is for tonight, but without D'Lo, without Rubio, now you're down to Jordan McLaughlin as your starting point guard. Uh, going up against John Morant, and you know that that's going to be a difficult uh, task for McLaughlin, who did his best, yeah. but uh, that that's tough. And then you don't really have another point guard, so you've got Ant as kind of your your initiator, if you will. Um, but the Wolves lose again, twelve and thirty-seven now, the record. And you know, again, we've we've talked a lot about the Wolves week in week out, just trying to see growth, trying to see them, you know. Improve, And I think we now have seen, after about three or four games of Malik Beasley returning, he's getting his legs back and his shot back, and, and that's starting to come. And now the next wrinkle will be D'Lo returning, which by all reports is this week. He um, returned to practice five-on-five, five, and um, at some point this coming week, we expect D'Angelo Russell to return to this team. I feel like I haven't seen D'Angelo Russell play this season. I know he did early, and it wasn't always real pretty, because then Cat wasn't playing. So now... Barring injuries, Double T, this sometime this week we are going to see Towns, Russell, Edwards, and Beasley all on the court together. And you could probably put Jaden McDaniels now into that conversation, too. He, he had in a big-time foul trouble last night, picked up his fifth foul early in the third quarter, so sat pretty much the rest of the second half when the game got away from the Wolves, who really were right there at halftime as a one-point game at half in the third quarter, as we've seen before, got away from them. We've talked a little bit about... Finally getting the gang together and and seeing what this team has. And that's one reason they stayed pat at the trade deadline was we haven't seen them on the court together. Let's just see what this looks like. And for the last, what, 20, 25 games now, hopefully, all I want is that these four guys stay healthy. Let's just see what they look like together so the front office can figure out, all right, this works, this doesn't work, we can get rid of this guy, we need a guy more like that. And so that's what I want to see is just, Play together and 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 show us what you look like with Russell and Edwards sharing the court. What's that going to do for Ant's game? What you know what I mean? It's just I just want to see what they all look like on the court together. Okay. I mean, it, it's <laughs> I, I, mean, I knew I was going to get the okay. There. I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you. I know you. you I, I, I don't have anything else to say. You start. You give me that blank stare. No, I'm, like, I'm, I'm listening to you. I mean, you but know, don't you agree? I mean, for Wolves fans, it's frustrating. You lose every night. It's 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 so hard to watch, but. There are moments, and, and there are some. There is some talent on this roster that we haven't seen. I don't believe in years. I mean, you look at, you know, what Cat can do, what Edwards can do. We know what D'Lo can do. 
you've got some pieces, but we just haven't seen them play together yet. And that's really hard to really get any idea of what you have. Well, I, I think, you know, going forward and all the players you just talked about, you know, they do have some talent. And I think for me, the only thing that matters is how this talent comes together with the new coaching staff over the next year or so. And will this team be a playoff contending team? Because if you're not in the playoff hunt, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Season is, is Every year that a team does not make the playoffs, it's a lost year. And nothing matters. And so you're hoping that all the players that you – you just you talked about, and with a few additions here or there or evaluations when the season is over, is that going into next season, because you believe that this is another year that they would have no chance to, to make a playoff run. So we're on until, was it, 21-22? Yep. So as we go into 21-22, the only thing I would like to, to see this team do is to get into a, a playoff-type situation and have a chance to make the playoffs because, yeah, guys are going to put up great numbers and you're going to see highlight plays here and there. But none of that matters if you're not fighting for a playoff spot. And as I said last week, next season they have to fight for a playoff spot. I mean, because now... Otherwise, you blow it up. There, there, there are 10 teams that can make a playoffs. out. I don't know if the NBA is going to stay with it or not. Maybe they will. And if they do, you have to be fighting for one of those last spots. You have, what they call the, the play-in game or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to get to that point, I don't know where you turn. I don't know where you go. But at the end of the day, as an organization, you want to make sure that we have the pieces in place where at some point in time we can contend for a playoff spot. Other than that, it's just a, it's just it's another lost season. No doubt. And Glenn Taylor assumed this would be that season, right? That now we got D'Lo and Cat together, and let's see what you got. You should be a team that's competing for a playoff spot. And obviously, uh, that's not close to happening. Next year, need, in my mind, needs to be that season. Or uh, I could see them blowing everything up. And So when you say blow everything up, that you mean that trading your favorite guy? Possibly. He'd be in the conversation. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Big date is June 22nd. That's the day of the, the draft lottery. This year. We will learn whether the, the Wolves have a top three pick or not. That's a franchise-altering evening right there. So you believe that if they don't find themselves within the top three, you think it's all over? No. Oh. No. But you know, it guarantees you're, you're going to probably have pretty much the same guys back unless... Well, but the five guys you just named, you know... Anthony Edwards is, is is a talent, so you would believe that anybody that's coming out of college right now, he should be ahead of, right? Not necessarily. I think he's done nothing to make me think that he did not deserve the number one pick, but if he was in this year's draft, in the league would you, he be the first pick in this year's draft? I don't know. With Kate Cunningham, Evan well, Mobley, and Jalen Suggs. I well, don't I don't think that you're going to find a, a better athlete coming out of this year's draft than one you got this past season. Probably not. Okay, and... You like his upside? Right? Very much so. Okay, so I would say right now, with a year in, he should be further He should be further along than anybody that you're going to bring in from this year's draft class. Probably further okay. along, that's fair. All he right. might be younger than a couple of the guys, okay. I don't know, but, but yeah. You got Carl Anthony Towns, okay? 
one of the top young players in the game. They could average going to average twenty two or twenty four a game. You said he's done patent stats. He doesn't care about stats. Anymore. So you like Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley is a mature guy that can you know he should be ahead of any young guy that you bring in there right now. And, and you have and you have uh, what's your guy named D'Angelo Russell. So if if they don't get the number three pick, do you believe if with the four guys that you just talked about and maybe adding an, another piece here or there, maybe find a guy in free agency or something of that nature. Do you believe this team still should contend for one of those top ten spots if the NBA stays that way? I think, yes. Okay, well, I do. That, that, then, you know, then the number three pick really doesn't matter. Right, but that number three pick is going to likely have a lot more upside than a Malik Beasley has. Long-term Not really. star potential. I don't yeah, th- for sure. I don't think so. 100%. 100%. I don't think so. You don't think Jalen Suggs has more long-term upside of the NBA than Malik Beasley? But in, in a different position. Yeah, fine. As, yeah, but okay, if... But, or Kate Cunningham, but if but if you don't get, I don't know about Kate Cunningham. I I can I can say right now, if I put Kate Cunningham in Malik Beasley's spot, who would you say is more prepared right now to play in the NBA? Well, prepared right now is one thing. I'm not talking about being prepared right now. Do you got to, Dave? Where is this team going to be in three to five years? I'd rather have the the potential of Kate Cunningham. Okay, well, you know. We've seen them draft. You're laughing at me inside right now. <laughs> I, I can just. Tell. We've seen them draft. For a number of years, with the one, two, three, four, five, or ten pick, and where have we gotten to? So I like with the one pick, you rarely make a mistake. I like I like to have some some older guys who have some season on them at the NBA level. I know you do. So I believe that if the four guys you talked about, and and if Anthony Edwards goes home this off season and become and comes back a more consistent player with the talent that he brings to the table, if they don't get a top three pick, they'll get a draft pick somewhere down the road or they'll pick up a freeze in another year from now, something of that nature, that this team should be able to contend, you know, for uh, a top ten spot in the Western Conference. I agree. Uh, but yeah. that's that's not my end game. I don't want to just compete for seven to ten. I want this team to be in the mix, and getting a top three pick is going to get them a lot closer to that goal. we got a break, final break of the day. Uh, we'll come back and uh, wrap things up with more NBA, maybe a little baseball talk as the Twins return to the field uh, this evening as well. Final segment in the zone. On the fan. We are back. Pretty sure we've never played the theme from Jeopardy on In the Zone. Are you a big Jeopardy fan, Double T? No. Not a big Jeopardy guy? Uh, I've always enjoyed the show Jeopardy a lot. In fact, uh, so this is about somebody that you that you uh, that works for you? No. No, I'll get there. I just want to make the point. Like, if I'm kind of cruising through the channels, there's not a game to watch, there's not a show I want to watch... Jeopardy's on Netflix. I'll actually throw on an episode or two of Jeopardy. Music because you watch Jeopardy on TV. No, I'm playing it because starting uh, Monday, Aaron Rodgers are is said, guest well, hosting Jeopardy. I said, you plan this because there's a guy who works for you. Oh, works for me because yeah. I'm an owner. You're an owner. Okay, right? I didn't. <laughs> and you get that? I didn't. No. <laughs> I, mean, I know you're not playing Jeopardy music because you watch it on TV. No, that's true. But I also don't 
Everybody you know, knows that Aaron Rodgers is going to be a part of the Jets. I just don't go to sleep at night thinking, you know, that guy that works for me, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he... He's going to be a part of Jeopardy. Yeah, Even he, I know that, okay? okay. Come on. Well, I figured you knew it. Right. I mean, but uh, you know, when you said a guy who works for you, I'm like, yeah, no, I don't know where you're going there, but that's where you were going. As an owner of the Jeopardy, Packers. Jeopardy, Aaron Rodgers, Dave Seneken, owner of the Green Bay Packers. There, uh, you've put it all together. Okay. Very nicely done. Okay. Well played. Um DVR will be uh, recording all those shows. I can't wait to see how he does hosting the show. And he has prepared diligently. Like, is he's he been watching. Daily Double? I think he is. Okay. So you do know a little bit about Jeopardy, then. Bit you know about the Daily Double. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he watched just hundreds of episodes. How Alex Trebek answered or um, took, like, when people answered questions, how he replied, things he did, his mannerisms. Rogers is going to knock it out of the park. It's going to be very interesting. His next career could be game show host. He did win Celebrity Jeopardy a number of years years ago. Uh, the next two weeks, he so, will be hosting. So, so, so are you saying that the Green Bay Packers are trying to push him out? Well, you know, <laughs> that might be a, you know what? Why don't you I, I leave football? Me, hey, you know, you know, there's another career waiting for you. Well, we're, we've talked a little bit about this, and we will in the coming weeks. The fact that Green Bay has not addressed his um, contract by moving dollars out so they could open up cap space this season to add players, but then adding, for sure, years to his deal or, or committing to him because more dollars are on his deal, does tell you that this is a pivotal year, that if things don't go great, they might be ready to walk away from the last two years of his deal and move into the Jordan Love era, which okay. I'm not ready for When at you all. say things don't go great, what are you talking about? Uh, not t- making the playoffs? Well, that would yeah, be a well, bad that, deal. That would be a bad deal. Okay, so they get if he the- doesn't approach the level of MVP play we saw this season. So the Green Bay Packers get to the NFC Championship game uh, once again. That's not great? No, it is great. You bring okay. him back 100% if you get to that point. But if you if you have a 9-7 and seven season, even no, sorry, there's 17 games now. Yeah. And, of course, the 17th game for Green Bay is a game at Kansas City. You know, it's not like you guys get to go to the Chargers and play a losing team. we got to go to Kansas oh, City. what are you trying to say here? Take on the Chiefs. Actually, I think the Chargers are going to be really good okay. this year. Okay. Can you just design the defense to stop Patrick Mahomes? Um, Can you guys get to the quarterback like Tampa Bay did? I don't know. Last time we played the Chiefs, we beat them. And slowed him down? On a Sunday night when Aaron goal. Jones went crazy. I'm trying to figure out why you guys are so eager to get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Well, I think a lot of fans are wondering why they haven't committed to Rodgers and why they traded up to draft Love, and there's a lot uh, to dive into there. But I think what Green Bay's done this offseason is basically they're bringing the band back together. They'll have 20 of 22 starters back. They brought back Aaron Jones. They brought back Preston Smith. They brought get back guys that kind of thought they were going to move on from. And they How old is Aaron Rodgers? 37. 38 in December. Keep Aaron Rodgers for as long as you I, can. Look, you're preaching to the choir. And as an owner, you'd think I'd have a little more, little more no, play here. What are you going to no. step up to the plate and have your voice heard? Because I'm, I'm one for? of thousands. So if we all want to do that, it gets a little you know, dicey. You're, you're talking about the Wolves getting three pick. You're upset if they don't get one. Go to Green Bay and, and, and have your voice heard. Your team uh, added a safety this week, Xavier Woods. Who's my team? The Vikings. The Vikings? Okay. I always say if you're looking for defensive help, Go to the Dallas Cowboys because that's that's where you're going to find defensive players right there. Um, all they've done is add defense, right, this off season, which begs the question: you know, when are you going to really address the offensive line? And yes, they added a center from Arizona that they traded for. Okay. If they don't draft a lineman in the first round with no second round pick, will Purple Nation just rebel at this point? 
If not this year, when? Right? It, it feels like this should be a number of good offensive linemen. Yeah, there, right? it, it should be a draft. And I think and probably will they. You know, they understand that they need to address the offensive line for sure. I have to believe, and it just depends on which direction they want to go in to address that situation. There's going to be options to trade down, I would think, right? If you're in the middle of the first round, you don't have a second-round pick. Are there veteran guys out there that you can pluck in free agency? In what? Yeah. At the offensive line? Yeah. Well, there were. They, they've they all been. gone now? Well, the good ones are gone. There's still yeah. that, that Trent Brown, you know, the Ravens uh, left tackle sitting out there, wants to be traded, and the Vikes are among seven or eight teams. teams. that, you know, is in the conversation. Right, but what are you going to give up? You've already given up draft capital this year. You're going to have to pay, the like, a top five left tackle. I don't know how realistic it is that the Vikes could add him to the mix. You can be pretty creative, obviously, with salary caps, but yeah. I don't know that I would sit there and think, think Trent Brown's going to be the savior Well, they might be looking team. for instant gratification right now. You know, Kirk Cousins is in his last year, right? Yeah, 100% are all in for this season. Is Kirk Cousins in his last year? Um, No, but I think they can move on from him after this season. Well, he's going to make, what, $44 million, I believe, this year or something? Yeah, year? he's he's making a ton of dough. So, I mean, if you've got a quarterback that's making 44, you have, you know, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, you got Dalvin Cook, and they say we need someone that can come in right now. We're looking for instant gratification right now. We may not be waiting three or four years for some young guy to develop. And if they're looking to go in that direction, if they find someone they can plug in, they can give them what they're looking for now, you know, they may go look for a seasoned guy. Well, if they can find one, yes. Yeah. And and there's the um, Mitchell Schwartz from the Chiefs is out there who was a very good uh, offensive lineman and got hurt in the playoffs. Last time I checked, you know, you know, old teams win championships. Like the like the Packers, the Vikes, this is a big season. They're They're pretty much pushing their chips in. I believe, yeah, I mean, with what they've done this season. I mean, how many young teams win championships? I mean, you're adding a Patrick Peterson at 30 at $10 million tells you, we expect to compete for a championship yeah, this year. I mean, Otherwise, I, we're not bringing in Patrick Peterson. I mean, Peterson you look at the, the NBA. There's a, no, there's a number of teams that got young players. But it all comes down to the old guys once again winning championships. Speaking of which, did you see what happened to the Warriors last night? They got beat by 53. They, got, they were down 61. In fact, for the first time ever, they were outscored in two quarters by 51 points. How is that possible? And they scored zero fast break points in the entire game. Well, there's no Clay Thompson. There's no Steph Curry. <laughs> That's right. I All get of a sudden, it. Now you got, you know, this is what you got here. So it shows you that, you know, if you don't have those veteran guys who can play that, that at a very high level, these are some of the things that could happen to you on a nightly basis. And But – you got to have veteran guys. You got to have guys who can play at that level, who are 27, 28 years old, all star type players that can get you into a playoff type situation where you may have a chance to compete for the highest level. And, you know, nothing wrong with young players here and there, but you can't, you just can't have a steady diet of drafting young players year in and year out because the results are not going to be different. Yeah, and that's the sort of cycle the Wolves are in right now because it's hard to attract those 27, 28 year old all stars. They did it once. They got to the playoffs. It all blew up. We know what happened. But it's hard to find those guys that want to come here, you know, and play. Well, you for, have a couple now. Group. You know, D'Angelo Russell is going to be, what, 20? How old is he right now? 20, whatever? Three? 23, 24. He's been in the league for three or four years. Yep. He's got a long term contract. He's not going to win unless you decide to trade him. Carl yep. Anthony Towns is, what, 24? Yep. He's got a long term contract. He's not going anywhere. Malik Beats just signed with a four year deal, five year deal. I don't think he's going anywhere. Here's your, here's your core. 
Yep, it's your core. So now that these guys here now have to step up to the table, you got a young guy in Anthony Edwards who you believe that a lot of people believe that has a world of potential. So here we go, man. It's time. But it's time for the three. It's time for the, if they can stay healthy, the best two players on the team, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell now to make their mark on this team and see if they can get them close to a playoff run. Here's hoping. Uh, we got to go. Uh, we never talked twins. Hopefully they'll get their first win tonight in Milwaukee. Uh, have a great Easter, everybody. Uh, for Double T, Trent Tucker, for Brianne Burdett, I am Dave Sinekin. Thank you for listening. We're back next Saturday. Stay tuned for Beyond the Pod. Dave.